We are back another extra bases with Bristol and Booth. Jeremy, right off the bat, I want to amend what I said last week about Tony LaRussa and the fact that um, that arrogance is probably needed to run a big league clubhouse. I think a quiet arrogance is probably what you need. The inner arrogance. You don't need that outward stuff. Because I was thinking about this after I was listening and editing the podcast. And I, I said to myself, did I really say that? Because that's not what I meant. What I meant was you have to have a confidence to basically control the room. You don't need the arrogant stuff. So I just wanted to make that clear. It's been kind of eating at me since I since we taped that podcast. Well, first of all, I don't let it eat at you. Second of all, um, yeah, I, I know what you meant. I don't think arrogance is the is the word you were looking for, but I knew what you meant. What you mean is, you know, he's got to be the alpha in the room. That's what he is. But you know, if you're if you're an alpha male in Major League Baseball, there's it's a room full of alpha males at the same time, right? So, you know, it's how do you become the alpha and the alpha? How do you command that respect? Um, you know, Tony had at the time we taped the last one, Tony had some work to do with his clubhouse on how he handled things in the media. You know, and and Mercedes had some work to do with his teammates and some work to do with his manager for disobeying. And the Twins had some work to do just in general because they had no business to starting any of that by putting a position player on the mound and then getting mad because the other team decided to hit a home run. <laughs> they hit some – that's ridiculous. So, um, you know, Rocco Baldelli and, and, and Tony La Russa both should know better. Um, but, again, this is what happens, Jason. All the stuff we're apologizing and trying to rationalize and figure out, all that stuff happens because we're not playing the game right. You know, and if we start playing the game right and things change, it doesn't need to be football. It's not WWE. It's not UFC. It's not the NBA. It's not hockey. It's not the MLS. It's not the it's not pick a sport. It's not track and field. It's not beach volleyball. It's baseball. It's baseball. And the baseball is, is uniquely its own, like the other sports are uniquely theirs, too. And we just got the wrong people talking about it, meaning with the wrong people telling the, telling the, the right people what to do. Also interesting this week was Mickey Calloway, Angels pitching coach, of course, accused by multiple women of sexual harassment and mistreatment, placed on the ineligible list, banning him essentially from Major League Baseball through at least 2022. He's also been fired by the Angels. That is a very, um, I think, appropriate response by Major League Baseball. But... Um, yeah, Major League Baseball really, really drawing a line in the sand like it should. My question comes into play and how the organizations that he worked for handled it when they found out. That's 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 where I'm at. You know, mm -hmm. it's not um, you're not talking about look, and this is gonna sound really callous, but I have to say it this way so people can understand the distinction. You know, you, Mickey Mickey Calloway has been canceled. Okay, I'm using that word for a reason. He's been canceled. Okay, he's no longer part of the Angels organization. He'll never work in baseball again. Much like Jared Porter and and some other people have committed these similar infractions, and rightfully so. This is the type of thing that ends your career. Multiple infractions, um, trying to get around it, being dishonest about it, that ends your career. This isn't the same as as two people having a consensual encounter. This isn't the same as two people, as somebody doing something that somebody else doesn't like. 
This is like real, you know, this is really bad stuff. This is bad stuff. This is offensive and, and, and intrusive and, 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 and frustrating and sad and all many different emotions and adjectives you can throw at it for the people that are involved in it. Mickey Calloway's family, um, you know, Mickey himself, obviously no one feels sorry for Mickey at this point and they shouldn't, but the women he, he was, he was doing this with or two, um, you know, the problems, this is, that's not good. Um, my question comes back to the culture in baseball and it comes back to the organizations that knew about it and did nothing. And that is the Cleveland Indians um, who were probably really glad to get rid of him actually when he went to the Mets and the New York Mets who, and I got to be, I'm going to say this to be careful just for, again, for distinction, we're not talking about the scouts or the scout director or the player development department. We're not talking about people. We're talking about the, pe- the, the, the people that represent the logo at the highest level, making the decisions you know, Sandy Alderson and company that knew about this and basically said, eh, who cares? And that's what they did. There's no way around that. And so to me, Mickey Calloway is another casualty of a systemic problem of inappropriate behavior and discrimination. I'm not going to look at this as a, a, this is a, this is a male, female sexual harassment, sexual advancement case, but the bigger problem in baseball is discrimination. Women who were uh, mistreated in pretty horrendous ways were not listened to. They were swept under the rug and told to be quiet, told it wasn't that big a deal. Um, that's discrimination. That's discriminating against the women and their rights to have a, 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 a fair, a easy a place to work that's healthy and comfortable and to be around these type of environments. And Major League Baseball has to end the discrimination in their, in their thought processes um, across all levels. And that's that. nothing's going to change until they do that. I'm always interested in people with this – kind of situation how they're able to get jobs and get promotions like it just amazes me that this stuff doesn't catch up sooner I guess is the phrasing I'd like to use but I I imagine it depends on many times who you're speaking to as references I'm I I would guess you've got a this this, some people are going to get mad at me for saying what I'm about to say um, and Jason, let me know if you come up with another time that mattered. Okay. I'm going to say what I have to say about this, because this is something to me that, um, I've, I've actually, I've experienced discrimination in this game. I've, I've, you know, I didn't deserve, I, I got, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sore spot for me. You have the same people that are controlling the microphone, of uh, the things we talked about with Larusa and these unwritten, not the unwritten rules, but you know, pitchers pitching in, same people making this decision. They're all from the same area, meaning they're all from the same type of education, same type of background, same school of thought, different people, same similar. The similarities are all these different areas. Okay, this is like a running joke to them. It's like the frat boy mentality, you know. And I'm not talking about any individual frat boy. I hate that I have to say that, but the frat boy mentality is we're going to do whatever we want to do. We're going to, you know, do this and do that. And there's no consequences because we're going to, someone's going to sweep under the rug and someone's going to take, that's the frat boy mentality. You have a bunch of guys in, 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 that are running these organizations now who have something to prove to everybody else who was like the prom king to the people who were the stars on campus, right? These guys are out there to prove it to the people because they couldn't do it, prove something against people that, that could. And, 
this behavior is okay. This is their moment. This is their entitlement. Now, again, I'm not singling out any one person when I'm saying that. I'm talking about general school of thought. Otherwise, in no circumstances, this stuff get, get, get tolerated. So, again, until these people are kind of purged from the game here, we're going to talk about all these different things every week where you and me are going to be have a lot of fun because there's a million things to talk about. You know, we can get Devin Moore on the phone. I mean, we can find different ways to do all this stuff to talk about um, the Seattle Mariners and Kevin Mather and how, how the stuff you said about Kellenic and the stuff you said about their, their fan base. I mean, are you kidding me? These are people that are running organizations. Like, what are we doing? Until that school of thought is gone, we're going to deal with this, you know, for quite some time. Here's an interesting school of thought. I'm wondering if the Houston Astros will now have a leg up on a lot of different major league franchises and clubs when it comes to signing minor league free agents. And here's why. Jeremy, ooh, I piqued his interest. Jeremy gave kind of the, uh, kind of the raised eyebrow, like, what are you talking about? Dusty Baker brought up something very interesting the other day when discussing the demotion of Robel Garcia to AAA Sugarland. And certainly one of the things that Garcia brought up was, okay, where am I going? How far is it? Um, and Dusty mentioned, listen, man, it's right down the road. It's 20 miles away. And from a player perspective, and you've dealt with this. Anybody who's played the game has dealt with this. It's like one of the worst things that can, a player can go through, right? When you get demoted, promoted. I mean, promoted is great, but okay, Please. what am I going to do with all the stuff that I have? Who's going to take my apartment? Basically, Robel Garcia can now live in the same place he has in the Houston area and still get to Sugarland. And just the... the a burden has really been lifted off a lot of these guys on that, that triple A to the major league shuffle, the, these four a guys. And, and I, and I'm wondering if the Astros could leverage this a little bit and maybe get guys that, um, you know, if there's a, uh, certainly you've got to pay them the same amount, you know, money, you got to pay them a competitive rate or salary, but I'm wondering you know, we get that tie goes to the runner thing. I'm wondering now if if this this Sugarland being so close to Houston, yes, it's great for the front office guys and the scouts and coaches, and they can check out players. But from a player perspective, man, I gotta believe that that that, that is such a huge deal for these guys that they don't have to worry about all the other stuff when it comes to going up to the big leagues or going back down to AAA. Well, you know, the Astros AAA team is in the city of Houston. I mean, it's, it's just leave it what it is. I mean, Sugarland, by the way, and, and I've been in the city now, you know, just almost a decade and a half. Um, Sugarland, I mean, that's all you need to know. The name is Sugarland. Like, oh, like, where am I going to go play? Sugarland? Like, that's what, that's what we're doing. So, like, you know, you're in the city of Houston as a AAA baseball player. Mm, where do I sign? I get to go to a major city, one of the largest cities in the country. My big league team is, you know, an Uber ride away or a car ride away. And I get to live in Houston. Yep. Sounds good. And, and you know, as far as like the Astros are concerned right now, 
you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but, you know, they're not real good in the minors. There's not, there's not a whole lot going on down there from a prospect standpoint. There's pieces. There's pieces. There's not a prospect standpoint. So they're in a situation where if I'm a, a minor league free agent and I, I need a job, I'm calling Houston. I'm like, hey, like you got, you have a need. I'll, you know, I'll sweep the floors in the clubhouse because you may need something in a week to help you win a game. You know what I mean? So that's, um, I think you're right. I think it's, it's a, it's an opportunity. Uh, anytime somebody wants to come to the city of Houston, I recommend it. Obviously, I love it here. Um, you love it here. Uh, we all love it here. It's Houston. It was just interesting because. You know, we've heard about the proximity and obviously it's great for the coaches and the GM and the scouts and things like that. But um, and when I say coaches, I, I mean more just the communication because they're so close. But and certainly the ability to, to recall a player on a moment's notice is is huge. But I guess I guess I just never really realized or thought of it from the player perspective when Dusty brought that up, because here you've got a guy first year in the organization He's like, where are you sending me to? And, and most of these guys have, you know, they've got to travel a few hundred miles or, you know, they don't have this luxury of having the place be a home base actually for two places, the big leagues and AAA. You must have had some miserable travel experiences when, you know, switching teams or being um, traded in a league or something like that. I can only imagine what you've gone through. It was It was crazy, but... You know, we never had anything quite like this 20 minutes away in a major city. I mean, I spent time I spent time in cities like Tri-City, Washington, Jackson, Tennis, uh, Mississippi, uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, Bridgeport, uh, Connecticut, um, uh, you know, Somerset County, um, shoot, Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, Sonoma County. I mean, yes. I spent time in Sacramento, Vacaville. Like, I mean, you know, you spend time in towns like that. I mean, you're close enough to a big city, but that's not like being in Sugarland. I mean, the Muppets when they when they did this, they didn't do it for the players. You know, they didn't do it for the players. They did it, you know, for as easy for them. You know, nice, travel. Jeremy. Nice. Yeah, I was yeah. wondering who was going to work that in. <laughs> um, you know, but it worked out for the players. You know, by default. I mean, not even Devin Moore can mess this one up. Well, it, it's really, I mean, I, it goes without saying, it's the closest AAA major league situation in all of baseball. Uh, I just looked up because I was curious about Worcester and Boston because Worcester is now the AAA team for the Red Sox. And that's about an hour. So I don't, I mean, I suppose you could maybe, you could probably do that. 45 right? minutes. Sacramento is what, the Giants now? And that's an hour and a half. Yeah, but that that's 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 tough, I think. Oh man, it's, it's an easy ride. It's just California traffic. Um Worcester, I played in Worcester when they were the tornadoes before they became the the um Woo Sox. Woo Sox, you know. And yeah, I mean I lived in Boston at the time. I didn't live in Worcester, 40 minutes. You know, that's not bad. Um beautiful stadium, by the way, Polar Park, beautiful stadium. They want ten thousand dollars a day to rent that stadium out. And it's not even for the full day. It's like for 75 minutes. Like they want – I'm not kidding. Like I got it – we were going to put an event there in 10 grand a day. What's Can you give me an idea of what is a little bit more reasonable in your mind? I Half mean, of that? I'll put it to you this way. Um, we had an event at Camelback Ranch with clubhouses 
and cages and backfields and main stadium. It was 10 announcer scoreboard is 10 grand for the weekend. Oh, wow. Okay. It's spring training complex. These guys are like, we want your left arm, a couple of toes, you know, <laughs> drop some of this stuff in, you know, not, nope. It's like 10, 10 grand a day. And, and, and then it was like, you know, a window of like, I'm not kidding. Like 85, like 90 minutes and you're gone. Yeah. I'm sure. Like yeah. it, it, as, as, <laughs> as that time expires, the guy's just about ready to lock the gate. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and you know, like the guy, people up there, you know, good people. Um, I think they're just kind of operating under marching orders, but called New Balance about that. And they were like, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, right. They're like, uh, that's a hard no. I, I knew the, I knew it had to tell you, had to, had to bring it up. Knew it was a hard no. It was interesting being at Minute Maid for the Dodgers and Astros, the stadium now 100% open the first game on a Tuesday night, I think the announced attendance was about 35,000 minute made holds 41 ish. It was basically 85% capacity, not a lot of mask wearing. Maybe there's a lot of vaccinated people. I don't know, but it was, it, it, it brought me back, man, to like normal, you know, it, it felt like, it felt like baseball again. It felt like the major league, experience that we've so grown accustomed to. And I think the players, I mean, Trevor Bauer mentioned that on Wednesday um, after the Dodgers loss that Tuesday night game, though, we had a pitcher's duel, Kershaw, Granke, and then that Astros bullpen came in, man. And I, the whole time I was thinking, wow, they can't get, (laughs) If they get this type of bullpenning for the rest of the season, they are cooked because against <laughs> against the best teams in baseball, this is not going to happen in the playoffs. Not going to happen. You know, it's funny. It was brought up today um, a couple different times. You know, it's about something. It kind of ties into what you just said about the Dodgers and Astros. You know, our state here in Texas, first and foremost, has zero COVID deaths right now. Right, that's been happening now for what a week or so. Zero COVID deaths, maybe maybe ten days. So that means we're in a pretty good spot. Um, whether it's vaccinations, whether it's herd immunity, whether it's you know whatever it is, it's a combination of both. Um, I talked to somebody today who doesn't have a vaccination but has the antibodies in his system. It's been injected into his body as kind of a test to see how that's going to work um, to not get the vaccine. So you know, look, we're getting past this, and and that's good for the state. It's good for the people. It's good for the game. It's good for a lot of things. It's good moments. These are good moments now. Um, you know, when it comes to the state of the game pitching wise, you know, to hear we had a, you know, a pitching duel or that hitters were having a hard time making contact, you know, in other news, water is wet. You know, I mean, which was kind of, we're kind of in that, in that mode right now. You know, the people don't know what contact is. I mean, I had a, a, a major league scout, a pro scout who's done pretty much everything in the game tell me, you know, he was watching a complex game. Just kind of tie this back to what you're saying and saying he could, he could go seriously, you know, three innings without hearing hard contact on two fields. That's where we're at, right? We had an event on, on Sunday up in Dallas at the Rangers Youth Academy, and I was talking to, to hitters about we're teaching people to throw up in the zone up here, but we're trying to swing up to get to that ball. Doesn't make sense, okay? So pitchers' duels are just kind of like it's Wednesday. Like that's what we call Wednesday. You know, a no-hitter, it's, it's, that's, that's Saturday morning. We've got a no-hitter on Saturday morning. This weekend, no-hitters. Remember this week in baseball? It's yeah. Like this no hitters. Okay. How many no hitters we had this week, Johnny? 17. That's what we got right now. 
I well, love, you know, it's so funny you brought up This Week in Baseball. I was thinking about that the other day, about how much I missed that show. I loved that show when I was a kid. Oh, the great show. What, what would Mel Allen say about all your strikeouts? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you know, you have, you have that. So I, I, I get it. Um, what you're saying, the Astros as, as a whole and the Dodgers as a whole, the, you know, bullpens, guys are getting worn out. They're getting worn out, running out there all the time because they're all pitching for intent. We talked about relievers are volatile. I didn't come up with that. I, I say it because it was part of a crew. Um, and I tweeted out that remember a while ago, I tweeted out when you put about that crew. Let me tell you who that staff was. That was the Milwaukee Brewer scouting staff. Okay. That group, when you walked in the ballpark, you knew you were good and you knew you were going to beat the other uh, other uh, scouts in the yard. No disrespect to them, but you could trust what guys said around the country. You could trust your partnership that you worked with. And so that came from that group. Relievers are volatile came from that group. Uh, that's the Jack Sorensics, the Bobby Hex, the uh, Ray Montgomery's, the uh, Dan Nellums, the, uh, you know, the Josh Belosky's and, and the uh, Tim McElvain's and Joe McElvain, who was with the Twins and then the Mariners. Like that's where all that stuff comes from. That's the influence. Um, relievers are volatile because they're not meant to be consistent. That's not what they're for. They're meant to, to go come in for a short period of time and get out. That's why they're in the bullpen. Well, you they're, also told me they're in the bullpen because they can't be starters. Right, which starters are supposed to turn the lineup over and get outs and pitch and be consistent, right? Get deep into games. Relievers are supposed to take the ball for one, maybe two innings tops. Why? Because you can't trust them. That's why you can't trust them. That's like the guy trying to break into your bank, break into the bank and be like, Hey, can I have the key to the safe? Can I just have the, you know, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not going to just let me have the combination to say, you go away. I'll hang out. I'll hang out here. You can't trust them. Okay. And that's the point. So if you can't trust relievers, of course, they're volatile. They, they, they explode. They, they talk funny. You know, they, they do weird tricks in the bullpen. I mean, these guys are, certifiable sometimes like they're not even they don't know what they're the routines the relievers have used to be you wouldn't see your closer till the seventh inning now they're out there in the second because you never know when they're going to get used right but you couldn't see them until the seventh inning so these guys they're not meant to be consistent like that you know and it, it ties into something else we talked about so i had, I had a, a, a guy pitched cal state fullerton a friend of mine i've known since high school asked me today his son's a pitcher or son, one of his sons is a hitter one's a pitcher he said to me he said look JB, I had a question. He said, I'm hearing now sprint work. Going somewhere with this. Sprint work for explosiveness and quickness. I said, well, yeah. Position players would do that for explosiveness and quickness. He goes, well, what about for pitchers? And I said, I support that, explosiveness and quickness. He said, what about distance? I said, do both. Why? Endurance, longevity, measured breathing, self-control, ways to, to mental stability instead of a 15 second sprint you got to do this for minutes at a time what does that do sharpens focus helps you breathe consistently trains your body to go longer than a certain period of time the more you do that well was that's gone away what else has gone away as the trainers say have taken that away well starting pitching has gone away innings have gone away consistency has gone away focus has gone away and it's all let's go run and throw it as fast as we can and if it hits 18 throw in the backstop so what it was 116 miles an hour that's how we're doing stuff today so you know all this stuff is kind of tied together and until the muppets get out of the room we're going to be doing this consistently we are running out of time so let's bring out an old scouting report from Jeremy, Jeremy Booth's, I don't want to say your drawer, because you don't keep them in drawers. 
Well, um, I got them all piled up down here under, you know, on the shelf. Do you? Yeah, I got oh. every year I've ever scouted pro, pro and amateur, every report right down there. Oh, wow. All right, every, here's one. He was right. the first round pick of in 2015, the eighth overall pick out of Vanderbilt, Carson Fulmer. Carson Fulmer, you wrote, closer in major league role, power arm with makeup to match, winner with no... T-E-O power pitches. Must be. What's T-E-O? Is that just a typo? Trying to be a typo. The system didn't pick it up. Okay. Boy, it's those kinds of mistakes, Jeremy. Yeah, we took him. I know. No. Can pitch with an 80 fastball in his future role. Fast everything with deception. Works out of the strike zone. Difficulty repeating release point. But is effectively wild and gets hitters worried uh, about both pitches at the same time. Gets hitters to chase, and most of his strikeouts come with hitters swinging at motion. Has to pitch to the plate at higher levels more, but his stuff will play. He is a winning competitor. You said round one would take round one, must take round one. It's interesting the um, your body comparison. I doubt you remember this was because no, it was I, six years ago. Who was it? Jesse Crane. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Kid from Houston, pitch with the Twins and, and a couple of White Sox too, actually. Major uh, League role closer. You saw him six games, a total of thirty-five innings. So, I mean, you had him in the first round, so you must have liked him, right? Want to know what gives? Is this the what gives moment? So, no, number one, what? Uh, where? How's he done, Jason? How's Carson Fulmer done? Go ahead. Well, for a guy that I think team, the team that drafted him had some very high hopes for. He's he has a career high, a career ERA over almost seven, six and a half. Um, one loss record of six, six and nine within seventy four career games. In Triple A or in the big leagues. Right now, it appears he is in Triple A, or excuse me, the big leagues with the Reds. So that makes sense for two reasons. Number one, Derek Johnson is the Reds pitching coach, and he was at Vandy. Now, not when Carson was there, but I think he actually might have been part of recruiting Carson, so that makes sense. Um, Carson Fulmer, that's what's called a respect report. Now, I put him in the bullpen because – and so I'm really glad you picked this. this. is why I wanted to go through it. So I put him in the bullpen because there was no chance on any universe or planet that he was going to start. Like, none. Not this universe, not the one next to it, not the one three down. No chance he was going to start. He couldn't repeat his least point. Everything was fast. Um, it was all over the map. He, he had got guys swinging at motion and, and chasing pitches out of the zone, which, by the way, is kind of what the big leagues look like today, right? So you're thinking that might be something that plays if guys are just trying to yank everything and they're swinging at arm action, all right? Um, but I did say he had to pitch back to the plate. I said that. The White Sox figured that out, tried to – change him a little bit. You can't change that delivery. You can't change what he was doing and try to get him pitched back to the plate. And what happened was as soon as guys stopped swinging at balls out of the strike zone and he got to pitch over the white, things got what we call ugly. Okay. They got ugly and guys were just teeing off on it and squaring it up. And that's the way it works because velocity with nothing to protect it doesn't bother anyone. All right. So that said, a lot of guys thought he could start. The White Sox don't take him eight unless they think he can start. I know our draft room, 
the winning evaluators we had thought that, you know, once they had seen him, thought he could start. David Moore was huge. He could start. He's got starters, one. Mac was like, it's awesome. We're going to go with it. And he said, you know, and I was like, this guy's a reliever. And Mac was like, you don't know what you're doing. I'm like, okay. He's going in the first round. I get it. So I'll put him in the first round because you don't want people to – that's when you just put him in the first round. But you write a report that is like, all right, I get it. If everything clicks, you write it to his ceiling. This is where he's going to be. I respect what he's done in college, but I want nothing to do with this guy. Now, I believe in the makeup. I believe in the resiliency. But for what we were talking about, no chance. If you had asked me to, to write a report – where I knew I had a shot at him, we didn't. He wasn't getting out of the first 10 picks, clearly, right? Where he had a shot at him, he's a third rounder for me. But you can't do that because he's going to go in the first round. So you just write a report that says this is what it could be. Somebody's going to take him. I want him. So if I want him, I know I got to take him here. This is where it is. That's called a respect report. But you have no chance of getting this guy. None. Because he's not going to get to you. And if he does get to you, you have somebody else ahead of him. It's interesting looking at his what's that? All kinds of politics in the draft room, Jason. I've I've picked that up over the yeah. years from you. Bad heads. It, it, it's interesting though, looking at his stats at Vanderbilt, other than his junior season, walks were he walked a lot of guys. I mean, when you look at the walk walk to strikeout ratio, and we've seen the same thing thus far in the big leagues. In fairness to Carson Fulmer, we've seen the same thing from everybody in the big leagues, okay? But when it comes to the walks, that's a pretty clear indication. You know, Vern Falwell um, is, a, is, a, is a pro scouting director, I believe, still with Minnesota. He was, he was definitely that when I was there. And we talked about the need for success at the lower levels, right, in college and high school. Because he said, did not get any easier than here. Not higher you climb, tougher it gets, right? That's the point of the minor leagues and the system against the big leagues. So, um, those type of things stand out. Somebody's walking a lot of hitters, either means they're way out of the zone or guys see the ball well. Fulmer was deceptive because he got guys swinging and missing a lot, but also depending when you, when you saw it. If you bought into the stuff, the walks and the strikeout said reliever at a ceiling, closer stuff, he could harness it, but he couldn't harness it because they changed delivery, everything flattened out. Alex Bregman continues to be the class of that 2015 first round. No surprise, no surprise. Alex Bregman's a very good player. What he's impressed me with since he's had a couple of moments. And well, you know what I'm talking about when I say moments. Yes. Okay? Of, of, of um, immaturity. What he's impressed me with is, is the growth. He's impressed me with the way he's playing the game. He's impressed me with the way he's taking accountability for some of the things that have happened. He's impressed me with the resiliency. These are all things that Alex Bregman in high school had going for him. You know, this is a guy that people liked. He could hit, but nobody drafted him. Well, he was drafted, but nobody drafted him high enough to sign him. Nobody trusted it. Nobody wanted he, Go ahead and go to LSU, Alex. Go to LSU. Go play there. He tried to catch to show value at one point. He played second base, played shortstop at LSU. He's come to the big leagues and show he can play shortstop. And Alex Bregman has made, with even with the ability, has made himself into what he is as a baseball player. Okay? There's no taking that away. What's nice to see is that those moments have faded, that he's grown up, right, that he's grown up, and he's taking control of his actions and playing the game as well as he is in an environment that is – not conducive to the success he's having. 
He deserves to have a pat on the back for that. It's tough. He, he probably didn't need it. He's probably at a point now he doesn't need it anymore. But he deserves to be said, somebody to say, you know what? You're doing a good job beyond just the numbers. You're producing in a climate that isn't made for you to produce right now. You're producing in a, in a, with a city and a team that everybody wants to fail. And you're doing it with less than optimal manpower, right? When they can just kind of get around you after a certain point and get to somebody else. And you're still doing that. So um, it's not surprising to me he's, he's the, the jewel of that class so far. Um, if the Astros, Mike Elias and, and the propaganda machine try to go back and say they knew that he was going to be sitting there second in the 2015 draft, I want to go back and see those notes. I want to go back to 2014 and see the notes that Mike Elias wrote down and said, on June whatever, 2015, Alex Bregman's going to be there second in the country. Take him. I want to know. I want to see where that happened. I want to know what that was about because then I want this guy to go with me somewhere and make me a lot of money. Like I'll say, I will say nothing else about Mike Elias. If he can prove to me that in 2014, he said Alex Bregman will definitely be there with the second pick of the draft, and we're taking him. And he's gonna be a star. Prove it. Show me those notes, and then I'll take it. Otherwise, good for Alex. Hmm. Maybe I should go through Astro Ball book because I thought that there was a chapter on Alex, but propaganda. Okay. And we, we talk, like, you introduced me to Ben, nice guy, nice guy, Ben, nice guy. Ben's great. Pro- Ultra talented. Propaganda. It's a propaganda machine. If you doubt me, let's go back, look at that player development. You have that player development video somewhere. Hey, hi, we're the Baltimore Orioles. We have the best facilities in the Dominican. Don't you want to play for us? Like you need to find that clip and play that. That's the same thing as, as I knew Alex Bregman was going to be there in the second pick of the country. Don't tell me I didn't know. It's 2009. I predicted it. Like, that's – what are we doing? That didn't happen. It's how the draft fell. Show me that so I can go make some – I, I want to make some money. I, let's, go, let's go make some money. Show me that. All right. Hey, by the way, Carson Fulmer, uh, his war to this point, minus 1.2, according to baseballreference.com. He's losing the war. That's not a war. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a war. That's a – that's in the trenches taking fire. All righty. All right. That's going to wrap up this edition of Extra Basis. For Jeremy, I'm Jason. As always, make sure you like and subscribe and let us know what you're thinking anywhere in the comments section. And we'll talk to you next time on Extra Basis. <laughs>